forgot to mention, forgot to mention before I read from the scripture that our presbytery meets tomorrow and Tuesday in El Paso. As I mentioned last week, we have five men we're examining for ordination or licensure. That's a lot of, a lot of exams. And we also are supposed to tackle some uh, Book of Church Order Amendments. Uh, it's a lot of debate and a lot of times. Please be in prayer. If you think of it, pray, pray for me. Pray for the other pastors and elders that will be uh, in El Paso uh, Monday and Tuesday. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapter 1. Be looking at the first 16 verses. We do have a print in your bulletin if you'd like to follow on there. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle. And also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And Saul said to me, who are you? And I answered, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live, not, not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am a son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood shall be on your head. For your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. This is God's word for us. Let's pray as we consider it together. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open it this morning, Lord, we pray that what we know not, you will teach us. What we have not, you will provide for us. And what we are not, you will make us. We ask this for our good and for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this, uh, this is like a two-part uh, sermon series. Uh, this is a new series from 2 Samuel. Uh, I remember 1 Samuel. Do you all remember what that was like? The wind was in our face. The concrete was below us. We were mostly out in the parking lot for a good chunk of the sermon series we preached on 1 Samuel. I think it ended in here, thankfully. But I remember that. And I'm glad to be back in here. Uh, 1 Samuel, of course, was, it was about Samuel the prophet. 
Uh, but it's really also about uh, the need for a king. The people uh, ask, ask God for a king, in a sense, kind of rejecting him. And so they pick Saul. Saul winds up becoming the king. And for those of you who don't know the story, Saul is kind of, uh, he's got executive hair. He's tall. He's good looking. Uh, he has some little weird tendencies, right? He, he likes to hide sometimes in the baggage claim. We talked about that. Um, and sadly, what happens is, as First Samuel progresses, Saul gets further and further and further away from the Lord to the point where the Lord actually chooses another king, David, to be his anointed. And Saul's time is short. First Samuel ends in chapter 31. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what I want to catch you up on this morning is how did Saul die? And how did David wind up in this town called Ziklag? Okay. It sounds like it's in Germany, but it really isn't. It's, uh, it's actually uh, in the, in the uh, land of the Philistines. So let's talk about David first. In 1 Samuel 27, David and his, and his company of men, he had, a, he had a group of men and their families. So it's not just an army. It's, it's really a whole company. It's a, really a small nation. They fled Saul because Saul was trying, of course, to kill David. And, they, and David ran into the arms of Achish, king of Gath, which is in the Philistine territory. And Achish kind of provided him safe, uh, safety, kind of a safe harbor. And David performed raids on neighboring city-states and was granted the city of Ziklag as a home base. And Ziklag, by the way, after this, after this part of the story, becomes part of Judah eventually. So that's why David is in, is in Ziklag. He actually had just come back from striking down the Amalekites. And so he is pausing and, that, and then he gets word of Saul's death. Now, Saul's death has already been reported to us. If you, know the, if you look at just the previous chapter from, from this one, 1 Samuel 31, you can see the sad end to Saul's sad story. Right? There's a great battle, the Philistines and the and Israelites battle. And the Philistines rout the Israelites at Mount Gilboa. All, three of Saul's sons are killed, including Jonathan, who's just a dear, dear uh, friend to David. Saul is mortally wounded and falls on his own sword, depriving the Philistines of the opportunity to mistreat him. In other words, to torture him. And eventually, of course, to kill him in a very public way. So that brings us to 2 Samuel. And I'm feeling strong this morning. We're going to go over the five points. Uh, they'll be quick. Uh, but we're going to break up the text into five parts and we'll talk about it as we go along. First of all, let's see the arrival of the Amalekite. The arrival of the Amalekite is verses 1 and 2. It says, After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. So this young Amalekite, we don't know his name. We know that he comes from Saul's camp, which most commentators think is about 80 miles away from Ziklag, and so this was a long journey. He, had to, he, didn't, he didn't take the highway. Okay, he wasn't, he, there was no buses, uh, no metro, no trains, and so this was all on foot. So this took him you know, a considerable amount of time to get there. It says his clothes were torn and dirt was on his head. Those were signs of mourning. Obviously, there's distress in his life. And he falls at David's feet and pays homage. So he clearly knows who David is. And he knows that David was to be Israel's future king. And so you can kind of read between the lines a little bit and see this man is really looking for, to get in, uh, get in with the new administration. 
right? He's trying to get into the ground floor of, of David's new kingdom. And I think that really motivates him for what, what is to come. So that's the arrival of the Amalekite. Then, then we see the first of two conversations, verses 3 through 10. This first conversation centers around three questions that David asks. Notice the questions are, where do you come from? In verse 3. How did it go in verse 4? And how do you know about Saul and Jonathan in verse 5? And I'll take those one at a time. First, he asks in verse 3, David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. So he, he has news of the battle. And that leads to verse 4. How did it go? Tell me. And he reports, the people fled from the battle, and also many of the people had fallen and are dead. And Saul and his, John, and his son Jonathan are also dead. It's all bad news. There's no, nothing redeeming here. There's nothing good. The king is dead. And so David focuses on, on particularly the Saul and Jonathan in verse 5. He says, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? And this is where the story really turns because this is where we find out that this young man's story has a few holes in it. In fact, he's lying. Because what he's about to tell you in verse 6 contradicts what, what was, we were just told by a narrator in 1 Samuel 31. I'll, I'll go over that in just a minute. First of all, notice what he first, by his first phrase the young man told him, said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. Come on. Really? By chance, you just happened to walk by this major battle, and you just happened to be on Mount Gilboa. Later on, he says he's the son of a sojourner, so it's, it's clear that he lives among the Israelites. He knows there's a battle going on. This is like, kind of like our, when, you, when you're a parent and your eight-year-old says, I didn't eat the chocolate daddy, and he's got chocolate over all over his hands. I think that's what's going on here. By chance, I happened to be on, on Mount Gilboa, he says. And there was Saul. He just happened to see Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and horsemen were close upon him. Now that part is true. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am a Malachite. And this is where he claims that Saul asked him for euthanasia, basically. Euthanize me. Take me out. Well, that's not what happened. In fact, just look at 1 Samuel 31. If you have your Bibles, just turn, just turn one chapter back. Beginning in verse 3. It says, The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, okay, his right-hand man, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, would not, for he feared greatly. Feared what exactly? We'll talk about that in a minute. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. He goes on to say the armor bearer after that also took his own life as well. So he really kind of inserts his, the Amalekite inserts himself into the story. He says, I don't, he basically becomes his, uh, Saul's armor bearer. But why would Saul trust his life in, in, to an Amalekite? He, he just, happened to be, just happened to be walking by. And notice that the story ends in verse, uh, the end of verse 10. It says, after he had taken Saul's life, he took the crown that was on Saul's head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. In a sense, he's kind of proving that what he's saying is true, but... He could, of course, have gone back to the battle before the Philistines did that and grabbed those things. He, took the, he really took those things to David because he wants David to be recognized as king. 
And again, he wants to be in on the administration. Perhaps he could be the minister of transportation or something like that. So that's a lie. These questions expose the lie uh, that this man is telling. Now here's the reaction in verses 11 and 12. And this is where the focus of the text. What, what, what does David do? Now, if, if you were David and you, and you thought this would really happen, uh, the first thing you might do is you, you, might, you might be really angry. Uh, you might go ahead, and, you might go ahead and, f- and discover this young man is lying and you might go ahead and, and execute him. You see later on what happens. But what is, what is David's first reaction? What's the first thing he, do, he does? He mourns. He and his men mourn. It says they took a hold of their clothes and tore them. A lot of torn clothes going on in those days. The sewing machines were busy later on. So did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, for they had fallen by the sword. There's so many people lost. Notice he mourns for the loss of, of, the, of the soldiers. He mourns the loss of his, of his brother from another mother, if you will, Jonathan. He mourns the loss of King Saul, the Lord's anointed. That's even more phenomenal because Saul was trying to kill him. And yet David mourns for him. And he also mourns for the loss of God's glory. If that's not clear from here, if you skip down to verse 19, I'll borrow from next week's sermon. It's, uh, David's lament is printed there. It says, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Because when Israel falls, the glory of the Lord takes, a, takes, takes impact. It takes a, a, an, uh, takes a beating. So David reacts this way. He, he mourns and he weeps. Notice this isn't kind of a manly man's idea of mourning. It's interesting, even earlier this month, uh, on the NFL football fields, you saw, we heard about a player, you probably, even, even though you, many of you don't even watch football, DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills suffered a cardiac arrest, cardiac event on the field, right? And what was striking about that, of course, was the, of course, was the amazing medical help he got. And an NFL football game that was, that was stopped and never, never replayed, which is amazing considering all the money that was at stake. But also what was really striking to me was to see these humongous behemoths of men, six foot seven, 340 pound offensive tackle, weeping, holding another man who's weeping because they know it could have been them. And they were so afraid for their teammate. It's striking because the motive expressions of mourning are not thought of as being manly in our culture. But when it comes to life and death, that's what happens. Jesus was also someone who wept. You may remember the story in John chapter 11 about how he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and, you, and, and when, when Lazarus was still in the tomb and all the professional mourners, actually, believe it or not, there were something called professional mourners. People paid other people, usually women, uh, uh, to wail and to mourn at someone's funeral. And Jesus saw all the weeping over, 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 over uh, Lazarus, and he wept as well, weeping almost in kind of a, 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 a derisive way because he knew that death was not a part of God's original plan. Luke chapter 19, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because of their disobedience, right? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not listen, you would not come. 
and he wept. He wept over the scourge of death in, in one case and the insanity of rejection of God's provision of a savior in another. We could learn something, I think, from Jesus, of course. We could learn something from these NFL players. How often we complain about the status quo. We complain about when things uh, clearly are not going the way in which God wants them to go. In this world, we complain uh, that the church is being, is being brought low. We complain about sin, sin against us, sin against others. We complain about a culture that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket at times. But do we ever lament? Do we ever stop complaining perhaps and, and, and cry out to God and just mourn and weep? I think we're too quick to complain rather than lament what we have lost. And I wonder perhaps if we did more lamenting, if we shed more tears, if that would make us more prayerful. And if we were more prayerful, perhaps that would make us a sharper instrument to be used in God's kingdom on this earth. That's what I thought of when I saw those humongous football players crying their eyes out over what they thought was going to be the death of their teammate. Thank God he's healthy and recovering. Um, I just could not, uh, could not let that one go. That was really something. So there was a conversation in verses 3 through 10, centering around three questions. Now in verses 13 through 14, there's another conversation centered around two questions that David asked. Where do you come from? Which he already asked, but yes, in a different way. And then a second question we'll get to in just a moment. So notice, first of all, the priority again. He, he mourns. He takes the time to tear his clothes. It says they mourned and wept for, for, and fasted until evening. It was an all-day event. And then verse 13. David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? This time he's really asking him, you know, where do you live? Are you from around here? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner in Amalekite. So his heritage is an Amalekite, but he's been living among the Israelites. Right, so not in, in the uh, in the in, in the uh, nation of Israel, not not everyone was a Jew. Gentiles would come and live among them from time to time. That leads to verse fourteen. David said to him, "How is it that you are not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? How are you not afraid?" Now I want to bring back Saul's armor bearer. That was what Saul, what our bear was afraid of. Do you remember when I read that? We read that in verse 4 when Saul said, Draw your sword, thrust me through with it. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. He feared the Lord. He feared taking the life of God's king. It was not his life to take. Honestly, it wasn't Saul's life to take. Saul is more than happy to take his own life. Because that Saul is about Saul. Saul, in, in 1 Samuel, as you read it more and more and more, every decision Saul makes is to make Saul's life better, to preserve Saul's life, to preserve his privileges. And even at the end, he sacrifices life for what? For, to, so that he will not experience any more pain. And by the way, David was once Saul's armor bearer. So he knows what that's like. Many times, even at least, at least the one time I can think of, if not more, more than once, I think, David had an opportunity to end Saul's life. 
And he didn't do it either. Because David had what we call the fear of the Lord. It's something Adam mentioned in his prayer. Uh, commentator Dale Ralph Davis puts it this way. The fear of the Lord is a healthy, saving fear that is rooted in love. It's a fear that preserves us, that provides boundaries as we, as we live out our faith. We're called to fear the Lord, not to cower. We're not, we're not fearing the Lord in a way that's kind of cowering. We're not kind of hiding in the corner from him. But we respect his majesty. We understand he is holy. And because he is holy and he is sovereign and he is our king, there's a healthy fear. Again, a saving fear that is rooted in love. And it works its way out in our, in our faith. Samuel actually talked about that. In 1 Samuel 12, verse 14, he's, it's his farewell to the nation of Israel. He told them, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. If you will fear the Lord. And I think what after those things afterwards kind of define what fearing the Lord looks like. Uh, serving him, obeying his voice, not rebelling against his commandments. But Saul didn't fear the Lord. He used the Lord. The Lord was like his vending machine. And eventually, the Lord got tired of that. And he chose David. And David did fear the Lord. So Saul didn't fear the Lord. David did. And if you really want to know one thing that, that makes the difference between those two men, that's it. The difference between Saul and David is one feared the Lord and one did not. David was not perfect Plenty of sin in 1 Samuel 1, 1 Samuel. Will there be plenty more sin for David we'll get to in 2 Samuel. But he feared the Lord. And because of that, he always came back to him. And that made all the difference. So we had the arrival of the Amalekite in verses 1 and 2. Now we have the departure of the Amalekite. A little bit different. He comes, he leaves a little bit different than when he came. Verse 15. David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. I don't know when David said, to, said this to, in verse 16, if he was dying, but it's obviously David said to him, your blood is on your head. For your own mouth has testified against you saying, I've killed the Lord's anointed. This young man, ironically, has David, David buys his story. He buys the young man's truth challenge tale. And he pays his life for it. The Amalekite expected David to celebrate. Instead, he mourns. He expected commendation from the new king. Instead, he received execution. So this is just an aside. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. The truth, dear friends, always comes out. And lies never pay. In particular, if you're a younger person this morning, I just want to encourage you. Tell the truth. Because you'll always, if you lie, to take it from someone that has lied more often than he cares to admit, particularly when I was a kid, uh, it's hard to remember all the lies and how you, how you have to cover You have to keep covering it and covering it. And the problem is there's no cover big enough to deceive the Lord. And the Lord, through David, uh, shows this young man uh, that, that terrible lesson. So just to finish up this morning, this report of Saul's death and David's reaction points us to Jesus. 
That's going to be a challenge for us, right? As we, as we read any passage of the scripture, you should be asking yourself, how does this passage point me to Jesus? Because I believe that all 66 books do. Uh, and so here's my, here's my take on that this morning. Jesus had no armor bearer, right? Peter tried to be his armor bearer. Do you remember that story? Uh, Peter with the sword, remember, cut off the, uh, the, the ear of the, uh, the servant, of the high priest. But, but Jesus said, put the sword away. Jesus had no armor bearer, but instead he went willingly to the cross, not avoiding the torture of the Roman soldiers who made sport of him. Right? All the sport that, that, that Saul wanted to avoid, Jesus went through. All the painful, um, the mocking, right? The, the, thorn of, the, the crown of thorns, the, 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 purple, the purple road. Um, he fell on his own sword, so to speak, by going to the cross, not to avoid the pain, but to sacrifice himself for the atonement of sinners, people like you and me, who are desperately lost in need of God's saving grace. Saul's, Saul's death is just a suicide. It's an empty death. It's meaningless. But Jesus' death means everything. He gave himself over to that. He sacrificed himself for us, for sinners who would come to him in faith. And so this morning I wanted to say to you, don't base your life on a lie. Trying to gain an advantage in life. Somehow thinking you can make God your debtor. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian this morning, realize that the one thing the Amalekite did in this story that was commendable is that he ran, ran to David, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Right? He paid him homage. Whether you're a long-time churchgoer or someone who's just learning more about the faith, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, falling at the feet of Jesus, David's greater son, is the path to true life. Don't buy the world's lie. Don't live by the falsehood uh, that you can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. There is a God in heaven who accounts for sin. And either you will pay for that sin or through faith, Jesus has paid for that sin. It's one way or the other. So dear friends, choose life. Choose the truth and put your faith and trust in David's greater son, our Savior Jesus. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Lord God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for their stories. We thank you, for God, for earnest men and women who, who make mistakes and yet continue to follow you in, in, that, in that sense of holy and reverent fear. Lord, we pray that you would capture our hearts in that same way. Lord, that you would do work with us this morning, that we would live our lives in a way that shows that we live with a healthy fear uh, rooted in love of the one who came to rescue us from our sins. Lord, meet us now at the table as we, as we, as we prepare by singing this next song. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.